Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers, and certainly hope you're enjoying your weekend. Our main guest today is Kentucky Education Commissioner Dr. Jason Glass, who's here in person, by the way. Commissioner Glass returned to his native Kentucky to oversee schools after being a superintendent and an education commissioner in other states. He started his job here last year, just as the pandemic was disrupting everything, including our schools. The commissioner has helped schools roll with the punches and figure out how to make the best of the situation. He and the State Board of Education also have some priorities for the upcoming legislative session that starts in January. Before you know it, test scores show some impact on learning, but did students acquire some skills that they wouldn't have with all the innovations of the last year and a half? We welcome Kentucky Education Commissioner Dr. Jason Glass to Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Bill. It's a delight to be here. here. You know, the, the test scores uh, that were released uh, about a week and a half ago uh, got our attention because Kentucky is down in some important areas, uh, overall graduation, uh, some core subjects, but you have said that those numbers don't tell the whole story. Well, certainly they're influenced by what kids and schools have just experienced and what we've all experienced over this past year and a half with COVID. So. Uh, Kentucky's uh, drops in scores and uh, across the board mirror what we see happening in other states. They're honestly also in line with what we saw with uh, early formative assessments uh, last spring. So it's it's not entirely a surprise. They are disappointing. We wish that uh, we hadn't had any drop, but we did. Uh, and so it's not unexpected, and we know we've got work ahead to recover from the academic uh, disruption that we've had over this uh, because of the pandemic. And you have said maybe they acquired some skills that they they wouldn't have otherwise. Oh, I think that's certainly true. So while we know we've got probably two years of work to do to try and recover from the academic disruptions, we also know that students worked independently a lot. They had to think about their own scheduling, managing their, their own time. These are skills that are applicable uh, in the workforce and, and in life. Uh, so there may be some skills that, that students acquired in that experience that have some currency and value to them going forward uh, that we don't pick up on a standardized machine scored test. And you didn't think this was a real good idea to do these uh, federally mandated tests at this time, right? I was opposed to that decision, uh, but it wasn't my call to make. Uh, once we got word from Washington that we were going to be required to give tests, I appreciate the staff of the department and staff that were in schools all across the state and the students stepped up and got it done and got it done really efficiently. Uh, this was our first time that we've done an all um, online test. Uh, it, it happened in schools, but it happened on the computer, so that happened very seamlessly, so I'm really proud of that. But I think it, again, it, it is largely confirmatory of what we already knew. Uh, we already had data showing that there would be declines in scores, and we had data uh, from schools that were we were getting information much more quickly. So this is redundant and, and I think an unnecessary disruption. We had a limited number of in-person days already. How do kids catch up? I mean, is this something they do uh, on their own? Is there some personal responsibility there? Or do schools uh, try to bring everybody along at the same time? Well, I think it's going to take all of that. Uh, so we saw, for example, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, where schools there were shut down for uh, six months to a year because the buildings were, were destroyed, um, it, it took uh, New Orleans and Louisiana uh, in, uh, one to two years to catch students up from that, that disruption. So I think that's 
analogous to what students in Kentucky and really all across the world are going to experience. We're going to have to take some time and work out of this. It's going to involve some investment on students' time, parents' time, and a whole lot of supports and investment within the school system, which we have uh, with the infusion of federal dollars. So we've got resources to do this. Uh, Commissioner, some parents are more engaged now, uh, some in ways that they've been activist at school board meetings on some controversial issues like masks, and but there's also this uh, this element of the fact that they they know what's going on with uh, with the students, so they have been with them. They, in some cases, last year, they essentially were their their teachers at home. Uh, do you think that 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 partnership will be better going forward? Well, uh, hope springs eternal, uh, and the involvement of parents is uh, an essential element uh, to a quality education for students. We, we, w one of the reasons that we have inequities in schools is because we have different levels of parent engagement. So parents that are engaged, paying attention to what's happening with their kid, that demand quality and services uh, for their students, get them. Um, so uh, I think it's a great thing that if we have increased parental involvement going forward. Uh, I hope that it's focused on um, supporting schools, supporting students, um, and improving the educational experiences for students. Overall, do you think that uh, schools and students uh, have rolled with the, with the punches and the changes uh, uh, as best they could in this situation? As well as anybody has. I mean, the pandemic has been disruptive to everyone in all aspects of life. And so schools are um, one place that was significantly disrupted because it's a c congregational activity. I mean, you come together in a room uh, in, in person, and that's how we've done school. So that was also, unfortunately, the exact person perfect environment for the virus to spread. Uh, so it's been more disrupted, but we've, we've learned to cope with COVID with the layers of virus mitigation strategies. But make no mistake, we've got a lot of work to do over the next couple of years to recover from this. Do you think the legislature has this figured out with uh, how to deal with when there are outbreaks or there are uh, large numbers of uh, students and staff and others uh, who are in quarantine uh, with the limited number of NTI days and, and the, uh, the other days that they've allotted. Well, I think the legislature took some steps to provide some relief and flexibility to school districts in terms of uh, funding stability, in terms of different operational models, in terms of some staffing supports. They also put some limits on that. Um, so the, I, I think out of fear that it would be overused. Uh, and so we'll see uh, if that was enough. We seem to be tapering off. The virus is uh, uh, spread largely. It's an epidemic of the unvaccinated. And so at some point, the virus runs out of un unvaccinated people to infect and break through cases to, to move through. And we seem to be at that tipping point now. So I hope we get a huge decline in cases and the legislature turns out being right. They didn't need all those days. That would be the best for everybody. Athletics, you feel, are moving along okay. I mean, occasionally games are canceled. There's been some of that. But uh, they're trying to get these, uh, these seasons uh, going. Many of the sports and activities taking place right now are outdoors. That's great. Um, and if we can get these viral numbers, the transmission numbers down in community, reduce that community spread, it means that the prevalence of the virus in communities is vastly reduced, which makes everything safer, including sports and activities, including indoor activities. So I hope by the time we get to basketball season and, and things that are happening more indoors, that we've got these numbers down and they're much safer. Commissioner, this generation has faced something that uh, most never have, you know, with, the, with what's been going on with the pandemic. There have been uh, 
A lot of concerns about the mental and emotional uh, status of uh, our, our students out there whose uh, lives have been turned upside down. Do you believe our schools are uh, equipped uh, adequately to address just how fragile some of those students are out there right now? Well, I think it, most of our educators and students in, in the state would tell you that we need a lot more supports on social emotional learning, um, uh, uh, emotional um, uh, behavioral challenges that students have, especially in the wake of all the isolation they uh, experienced over the course of this pandemic. Again, we're recovering from that, but we've got a long way to go. Um, the lieutenant governor right now is holding listening tours around the states uh, around the state in collaboration with uh, our student advisory at the department of education they're hearing from students what those social emotional challenges are what those mental health challenges are and they're going to present that information at our education summit in louisville on november first and second so we'll hear from the students directly what the impact has been and, and what they need to recover from that do you think though it takes the form of, of more direct counseling in schools or do teachers need to be empowered to, and, and educated to, as to recognizing some of those signs? It's really all of that. Uh, you might think of it like um, uh, me medical care. So you need, everybody needs to know basic first aid um, so that when you see a challenge or a problem, everybody can step in and provide some supports. Uh, but also sometimes you need more significant support. So someone that's got training, expertise, uh, or a referral to um, a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist in more severe cases. So I think it's across the board. We should expect that we've got students with um, disruptions and mental health challenges uh, across the board from things that are very mild to things that are more severe. We're seeing all kinds of uh, trends and history made in the, in the labor market right now. Obviously, there are shifts that are uh, very detectable, and yet uh, you can't figure out what exactly uh, is leading to that. One is about 60% of college enrollment right now is young women and only 40% of uh, young men. They, they, the Council on Post-Secondary Education uh, provides uh, some information here recently that degrees no question make a difference in, uh, in lifelong uh, earnings. Uh, is that disparity something uh, that needs to be addressed in your view or is that uh, you know is it progress for women uh, that uh, is to be celebrated well I, uh, yes and no um, it's great <laughs> that we have more women that are pursuing higher education and that uh, achievement and attainment and aspiration level is rising that's great uh, but this is a trend that's been emerging for the past uh, uh, several years um, and so I think it begs some questions around uh, how we've structured school the experience that uh, school is turned into and how can we make it more engaging for uh, young men and young women uh, to keep them engaged in learning and, and aspire to those higher education experiences. I, I think that we've got to get more students into uh, college, into post-secondary uh, experiences, in, into workforce uh, training experiences. That's something uh, that we've been working on with Aaron Thompson at the Council on Post-Secondary Education as a major goal. How can we, we move more students uh, from our high schools into some kind of post-secondary experience? Where is it along the path, though, that you have to light that fire you know wh where do young men and women have to say that they have an interest in a particular area and they want to pursue that well we we see uh, with 
young children, great enthusiasm for school and for learning. And you can walk into any kindergarten classroom and see that. And then something happens over the course of an educational career where that sort of starts to wane. Um, and that may be developmental or it may be the structure of our education. They get bored in It's sort cases, of wearing right? the en engagement enthusiasm out of kids. So I, I really believe that we've got to redesign our educational experiences to make them more engaging and give our kids experiences that translate into the same kinds of skills that they'll need when they leave our schools and go into the workforce. The labor shortage has impacted uh, businesses and government, including schools, and the bus driver shortage has been really seen in, in Fayette County in, in Lexington, uh, resulted in canceled buses, uh, some 2,000 absences for uh, kids. Uh, what can schools do to be sure that uh, they can adequately provide transportation for students? Well, one of the things that happens when the economy is, is really hot and, and there are plentiful high-paying jobs is uh, government sector employers suffer uh, during those times and so we're experiencing that right now uh, with things like bus drivers or food service workers and increasingly uh, teachers as well where wages on the public side are not able to keep up with with uh, similar jobs that are available in the private sector so you can't repeal the law of supply and demand no matter how much we don't want to fund schools in Kentucky or elsewhere we, we can't get out of a labor market that schools have to compete with so I think schools are going to have to come up with uh, higher wages to attract uh, those kinds of workers out of the private sector and honestly they're going to need some help from our legislators on that so there's uh, uh, available funding we're uh, overdue for taking care of our schools in terms of the SEEK formula that's the state side of the education uh, spending uh, equation in the state and the legislature needs to keep help help our our schools compete in the labor market and help them keep up with inflation. Uh, there's a more than billion dollar surplus right now for uh, for the, the state uh, government coffers. Uh, do, do you expect to uh, speak up uh, loudly for education? Well that's one of the major priorities that emerged from our state board of education was uh, uh, stabilizing and increasing funding uh, in the SEEK formula. Again that's the, the state part of the uh, education um, uh, a funding formula in the state and I think we're overdue for that. Uh, it's been several years since we've had a substantial or meaningful increase in, in SEEK funding uh, that's letting those inequities uh, uh, between different communities in the state creep back in where your zip code is determining the quality of your education that led to the Rose case and the, and the CARA uh, reform that happened in the early 1990s. If, we, if the state doesn't keep up on its side of the equation all of those inequities that led to that constitutional uh, crisis and that Rose case creep back in. You have said a lot of uh, non-certified staff are real heroes in our schools right now and you want to recognize them. There's something uh, called a, a RISE Award that, uh, that you'll be uh, handing out soon, right? Well, we know that we've got heroes in all of our schools, but uh, these folks who drive the buses, they uh, clean the schools, uh, they're working in the, in the food service line, uh, they're working as paraprofessionals, they're working in the front office. Uh, sometimes they're unsung heroes, uh, and we know that they develop really quality, important relationships with students, and they're the glue that can hold the school community together. So the RISE Awards is one way that the Kentucky Department of Education recognizes those folks and lifts them up for the work that they do. We're with Kentucky Education Commissioner Dr. Jason Glass will take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. We'll look ahead and also ahead to an education summit that is coming up soon. We'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers here on WKYT and Kentucky's Education Commissioner Dr. Jason Glass is spending a few minutes with us getting us up to date on what's going on with the schools. We've covered a lot of ground but let's look forward. Uh, the state legislature will be coming to town uh, in January. Uh, you have some uh, priorities uh, for them. You've talked about uh, you, you would like to see more funding. 
that's uh, a major priority. It's an, it's an ever-present priority is to, uh, f to increase funding. And in Kentucky's case, uh, to have, have the state keep up uh, of its side of the bargain. Um, we uh, Schools are funded through uh, a portion of local property taxes and uh, the state legislature funds part of it to try and create some equity between different communities. Uh, so the state really needs to keep up with that. Another major priority is investing in early childhood education. And this year that takes the form of fully funding uh, full-day kindergarten and continuing that funding. It's something that the legislature put in place last year as part of a deal to get the, uh, the private school tax credit uh, structure put in place. Uh, but they only put funding for the kindergarten in place for one year. So that'll be a, a lot of eyes on that to make sure that they follow through and make sure that that funding continues over the long term going forward as well. Our schools and our state got significant money from the American Rescue Plan Act as well. Uh, and uh, as we said, the state is running a, a, a major surplus right now. Uh, will you be urging the legislature to direct those ARPA funds in any particular direction? Ninety percent of those funds went to local school districts. Uh, and so they're getting to decide where those funds can go. And I think that's appropriate. We should defer to the local districts on how, how they use those funds. They're using them for summer school programs, extended learning programs, um, experiences for students, adding staff. Uh, that's, it, it's an unprecedented infusion of funds which we really need to recover from this past experience. But it's also time limited. Uh, in two and a half years those funds will expire. All of that capacity has to be shed and go away. Um, so that's, that's the challenge with those, uh, those one-time funds. There was a time in Kentucky, and you remember this growing up, when uh, uh, there was a lot of corporate support for education, sort of private money that was coming in. And, you know, there's been a sort of a nationalization of a lot of businesses. Uh, do, do you long for those days or encourage businesses to, to partner with schools where they can and, and assist in those local communities with the schools? Anytime we've seen significant changes or breakthroughs in education policy or a positive change in schools, it's been because of the partnership of the of business and industry. Uh, in Kentucky's own experience, we, uh, we know that uh, business was a major player and supporter of the increased funding, the increased accountability, and the change in the governance structure and experiences for students. It happened in CARA, which was one of the major educational reforms in the history of the United States. So if we're going to have that kind of moment again, uh, that kind of lift again uh, and focus on education, we are going to need business and industry to get invested, to get involved, in, and to support those changes in, in Kentucky. But ultimately, they're the beneficiaries of it, right, of the workforce. Right. Well, they're one of, yeah. for sure. Right. And, uh, the, the preparation for students to participate in the workforce is a major goal of any education system. As you know, Commissioner, there's going to be a temptation in the legislature to get involved in some uh, curriculum issues. Uh, you have said that uh, critical race theory is not taught in Kentucky, uh, but there is a bill designed to ensure that it is not uh, and never is. Do you expect a, a vigorous debate if, uh, if lawmakers decide to to weigh in on what uh, can and can't be uh, taught in classrooms? Well, this is uh, national partisan politics coming home uh, to Kentu the Kentucky legislature and even into local school districts in, in Kentucky. Uh, critical race theory is a graduate level or legal um, theory uh, that relates to why does racism still exist if we've uh, eliminated it uh, through law in several uh, ways. Uh, but I, I think that's how I've defined it. Other legislators are looking at it and saying that basically anything that has to do with race 
race or equity or, or the history of race and equity is critical race theory. I disagree with that analysis and I think it's really important that uh, students grapple with difficult issues. That's how we learn is through challenge and, and being uncomfortable sometimes and learning uh, the positives in, in American history and some of our dark chapters. We have to look at it all and think about how we can grow from that as people and as a nation. So I oppose efforts to limit classroom discussions to uh, a gag or censor debates uh, that happen uh, and things that, that teachers and students can bring up. The effect of these bills is to create self-censorship, makes teachers and students afraid to talk about things. I don't think that's a positive environment. It's not good for students, their development, and it's not ultimately good for our democracy. You were a classroom teacher uh, early on. Do you, uh, was it ever difficult for you to decide what you would and wouldn't teach or discuss? Well, I was a social studies teacher, a right. history teacher as well. So this was the um, uh, Briarpatch or Bailiwick that, that I, I worked in, was in this, in this very area. Uh, I followed the curriculum. Uh, so the, the state had a set of standards that identified here are the areas that I need to go into. Uh, so one of the areas that was controversial that I worked on was I taught world religions. Uh, and I felt like it was my responsibility to expose students to all of the world religions and here are some of their basic tenets, here's where they're different, and here's where there's a substantial amount of overlap uh, with, with uh, the different religions. So, um, so that was a controversial issue, certainly. Um, but I, I think it, you, you can't teach history unless you also talk about religion and culture and, and its impact on life and art and human development. Kentucky has uh, school resource officers in most schools, and that's a local decision as well. Uh, but uh, that has turned controversial over in Louisville, where uh, there was a shooting at a bus stop, a, a fatal shooting. Uh, and as you know, a, a board meeting that uh, got very disruptive and out of hand, and they ultimately uh, went, went away from that meeting. Do you take a, a position on that issue? Should schools have uh, law enforcement present on campus? Well, I think that uh, school resource officers can have a positive um, impact in schools. So I, I'm supportive of school resource officers if they're properly trained. And I think if you're going to have any uh, police in schools and any armed individuals in schools, it needs to be a school resource officer. That's, that person has the right training and the right demeanor and background to do that work. Uh, in the case of Louisville, in the wake of the shooting that took place, this happened out on a, a public street in a, at a bus stop. Uh, so the, the argument that that should lead to uh, more school resource officers, I, I don't think logically makes sense. So I, I think it's disconnected from what happened in Louisville. This seems to be some opportunism uh, on, on trying to put police in schools using a community tragedy, which I think should be separated from the question of the value of school resource, school resource officers, how many of them do we need, and how, what training do they need. About a minute left. You have an education summit that is coming up. It'll be November 1st and 2nd, and uh, you say there'll be a, a a lot of talk about where education needs to be. Uh, who do you expect at that and, and, and what do you expect to learn? We have about 500 Kentuckians already registered for that. It's on November 1st and 2nd. Uh, we have a balanced political um, presentations uh, from the governor's office and from some of our Republican legislators. We're excited uh, about that. It's it's not a debate. It's, an, it's a, a conversation about the future of education in Kentucky that we hope is aspirational. We've got lots of national speakers coming in as well, so we're excited about this event as, a, as an opportunity to uh, envision what the future could be for Kentucky schools. Commissioner, when you came in and sat down, I said uh, over the last year since you took this job, you've been drinking from a fire hose, basically, <laughs> you know, and responding to all of this that's going on. Are you enjoying being home in Kentucky? We're thriving, and I love this work. <laughs> I love. This
love this state and our family is just doing so well. Thank you for asking. We appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you'll stay with us now. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment. Welcome back now to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. With the holidays approaching, the shipping industry is in crisis mode right now. Massive delays and backlogs are causing shortages that retailers can't meet as far as the demand goes. Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has the details. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. Empty shelves, snarled supply chains, the commercial pipeline clogged, and experts warning this will last through 2022. In California, roughly half a million shipping containers floating off the LA and Long Beach ports, some ships waiting weeks to be unloaded. Recently, ports in New York, New Jersey, Texas, and Georgia also seen a record number of cargo ships itching to dock. And this summer, freight trains backed up dozens of miles outside rail yards. The U.S. has seen more imports than ever before. The pandemic sparked a buying frenzy with people stuck at home, buying laptops, washing machines, you name it. But it is more than that. COVID infections and deaths slamming the workforce. That plus job cuts means there are not enough truck drivers, longshoremen, and warehouse employees. Plus, there is a shipping container shortage. All these things are factoring into delays, driving up prices, and fueling inflation. I recently spoke to one of the nation's top economists, Austin Goolsby. I asked him about the troubling trend. The inflation has been so concentrated in the pandemic sectors, pandemic affected sectors, um, and is so closely tied to these supply chain bottleneck problems. I think that when you have what the economists call a supply shock, where you've got shortages of key parts, and that's the thing that's driving up prices in particular areas. The Fed tightening by raising the interest rate to slow down economic growth, that's not actually the right thing to do because you can get us cemented in at this low level of output. We, we, we got to do everything we can to expand the supply side, and that's the way to get out of a of a shock like this. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell says, while inflation has been higher and longer lasting than expected, it will abate. He expects inflation levels to drop back toward the Fed's longer run 2% goal. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home covering the national stories that impact you. Well, as they say, it is a conundrum, the situation we're facing right now. Remember, you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren. It is coming up this morning at 11.30 on WKYT. Reminder that absentee voting is getting underway in three special elections here in Kentucky. They're to fill open legislative seats. That includes uh, the one left vacant by Tom Buford's death, the state Senate seat, and state representative Bam Carney, and then Representative Robert Goforth uh, resigned his seat. So special elections going on there on November 2nd. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. You make it a good week ahead.